Hello and welcome to Pep Talks. I'm Frank Laughlin, Strategic Account Manager for Kerber Business Area Pharma. And I'm Elizabeth Doyle, HR Business Partner for Kerber Business Area Pharma. Our goal for Pep Talks is to have conversations on current topics impacting pharmaceutical manufacturing. And to get to know the people who are the experts in the industry. So sit back, relax, or go for a walk with some pep in your step. Welcome to Pep Talks. Welcome to this episode of Pep Talks. Hello. Today, our episode is the start of a two-part series entitled, I'll Take Pharma 4.0 for 200, please. Yes. And we want to explore the world of Pharma 4.0 as it pertains to investing in your factory hardware. And software. You're right. It can really be a puzzle. And today, we have an expert puzzle solver virtually here to help us out. I'd like to welcome Sam Russell. Sam has been developing, managing, and providing consulting for smart manufacturing systems for 12 years in the food and beverage, life sciences, and consumer packaged goods industries. He is a senior director of smart manufacturing solutions at Grantech and responsible for Grantech's strategy to develop solutions and deliver outcomes that leverage the latest technology to serve real manufacturing challenges. Sam is also the chairman for Mesa International's Americas Board, leads the ISA's Digital Twin Committee, and was recently named one of Control Engineering Magazine's engineering leaders under 40. Sam, welcome. Great. Thanks a lot, Frank and Elizabeth. It's great to be here. So Sam, we'd like to know from you, if you want Pharma 4.0 for probably more than 200, what comes first, the hardware or the software? Yeah, well, first, I'm glad you're stating that it might be a little bit more than 200, you know, uh, so it's, it's a fun joke at the beginning of this, right? But, it, you know, I'll say Pharma 4.0 initiatives can vary pretty significantly in size and scope depending on where you are today and where you want to go. But I can say pretty confidently it's probably going to cost more than $200. And with that in mind, you know, with that variable scope and scale, I would actually say that we're immediately falling into a common trap of running out and buying hardware and software before we have a clear mission of what it is we're trying to accomplish with it. So when you do that, you can end up wasting a bunch of money on stuff that you won't actually use or even worse, right? Basing a lot of your future decisions to fit whatever it is you already have and invested in, as opposed to what it is you actually need to to accomplish those goals that you've set out. So you got to remember that Pharma 4.0 is a journey and you'll do yourself a real favor to understand your goals, really capture your current state and establish your expectations around costs and benefits to create a real actionable plan before you start buying hardware and software. So we're saying a manufacturing plant really needs to define their goals and plan the journey to Pharma 4.0, which speaking of Pharma 4.0, can you define that and other buzzwords I hear like IoT and smart manufacturing? Sure, I'd be happy to. So the, the way that I like to think about it is first I'll break down digital transformation, industry 4.0, and smart manufacturing, because I really think about these as three cone-centric circles, right? So digital transformation is a big picture topic, and it applies way beyond just manufacturing. Banks go through digital transformation. Your grocery store might go through a digital transformation, right? That's just applying modern computational technologies to various business problems. 
Industry 4.0 is taking some of those ideas and putting more of an industrial spin on it. So it's focusing more on the, the processes, the people and the technology, and even the organizational structures of a company that can leverage this modern technology to, again, solve more manufacturing-based challenges. Smart manufacturing is kind of even a subset of that, where Industry 4.0 might focus on an entire business. Smart manufacturing is usually more focused within the four walls of the plants and the specific assets and software that you're using to manufacture your products. So with all of that being said, let's talk about IoT and Pharma 4.0 a little bit. So IoT is more of a tool and a technology that you use to accomplish some of those other goals, right? So IoT, the Internet of Things, is best understood when compared to the opposite, right? The Internet of people. So if you're thinking about the internet of people, the way that you and I interact with the internet, we do it periodically and sporadically, right? We're not always connected. We pull up our phones or we're only in front of our computer so many hours of the day, hopefully not too many (laughs) hours of the day. And what we do is fairly unpredictable, right? Your computer doesn't know if you're going to go look up something on Wikipedia or post to Instagram or stream a movie until you're up there doing it. That's really different than an internet for a thing, right? Like a smart thermostat. A smart thermostat is always connected to the internet. It's always pulling similar data like the weather. It's always sending similar data like your energy consumption. So the way that we design our systems for the internet of people and the internet of things ends up changing pretty significantly. And you can see how that could apply to an industrial setting where you're talking about connecting machines and more things to the internet and the way that that gets treated. So that's a great tool that goes into your smart manufacturing systems. Sam, Um, let me ask you a quick question. Are vendors keeping up with that? Oh, that is a good question. So a lot of them are certainly putting a lot of effort into doing so, right? You You can't go to a conference these days without hearing about IoT devices and things like that. So a lot of the device sides of things are, are certainly maturing very quickly. Sensors and smaller components that completely out of the box and on their own without needing to be hooked up to a, a bigger system or a data concentrator are capable of completely connecting to the internet without assistance. On the software side, yeah, we've been dealing in manufacturing with Internet of Things for, for forever, right? As long as we've been connecting machines, we've essentially been creating Internet of Things type systems. I think that there is more opportunity as the um, more devices get smarter to improve on a lot of that software. But actually, the, the more you explain Internet of Things to an industrial engineer, they usually realize, oh, wait a minute, I've been doing this for decades. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you a question. The second one is, do we need a common language? In terms of like, uh, what, what do you mean by that, I guess? Well, I know that Allotrope is trying to work on specific aspects of how things talk to each other. So mm-hmm. are there, or is everybody working on a common language to be able to communicate with each other on from an IoT perspective. Sure. Okay. So when I'm thinking about common languages in that perspective, right, I'm thinking about essentially communication protocols. So things like OPC UA, things like MQTT, right? So these are different ways they are. They're they're kind of like languages, right? So MQTT is more of a a publish and subscription service where a device might constantly broadcast out to everybody. I'm reading 68 degrees Fahrenheit in this room. 
And you only have so many end nodes and consumers that are saying, I'm subscribed to that information. I want to know what the temperature of that room is. And they'll go ahead and bring it in. There's also things like OPC UA, which might work a little bit differently. So that's kind of the way that language works, kind of when we're talking about these IoT devices. Now, what changes and the other real opportunity for standardization is the way that you do data modeling, right? So if I have, say, a batch tank, we have a lot of opportunities to say, what are all the pieces of data that I might expect to get from a batch tank? And in doing so, when you actually bring it to the application layer, you don't need to worry about this batch tank has this data, but not that data. This one formats it this way, but not that way. A batch tank is just a batch tank and any application that you've designed to handle that can instantly be rolled out to all of them. So so that's kind of the holy grail, right? Is this idea of common data models. I think the word is ontology, correct? Yes, there you go. <laughs> and that's what we're looking for is a common ontology. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you. Right. But now I'm on the edge of my seat for it. What is Pharma 4.0? Ah, yes. Thank you. <laughs> so to bring us back, I was late, I was saving the best for last, right? Pharma 4.0, there's a reason they're putting that 4.0 at the end of it, right? It's really the pharma context applied to industry 4.0. So pharmaceuticals, life sciences, medicinal manufacturing in general, there's a lot when it comes to, to health regulations and safety precautions and things that we need to, to take into account. It, it is a different industry with its own challenges, right? So Pharma 4.0 is generally about taking those same principles of Industry 4.0 and essentially just making accelerators for the pharmaceutical industry and saying how these technologies can specifically be applied to those types of applications and bringing in use cases and considerations like plug and produce and validation and continuous process verification, right? Things that aren't going to apply as much to a, a toy manufacturer or something like that, but matter a lot to a, uh, to a life sciences manufacturer. So if you want to learn more about Pharma 4.0 and kind of how it takes the industry 4.0 ideas and applies it to this industry, the ISPE has a lot of really good information on that. And I definitely refer you over to their website to, to learn more. And that's great information. So let's talk about greenfields. If you get the chance to build from the ground up, what's on the wish list? Yeah. So, of course, again, it's going to be the recurring theme of this. And it seems like maybe most podcasts I do, it's going to come back to those requirements, right? And where you want to go. Don't need to go over all of that again. So, I'll say if I'm making my new greenfield pharmaceutical plants, the number one thing on my wish list is going to be a solid plan around communications and connectivity. No matter what your specific use cases are and what you're trying to accomplish, it's almost always going to require equipment that is connected and is seamlessly able to exchange data with other manufacturing systems and business systems like supply chain and operators and managers and, and so much more, right? So it's really a struggle for brownfield plants a lot of the time, especially the older ones. You might have a pretty costly network infrastructure rework project to install fiber lines and wireless and upgrade machines and all sorts of stuff to support that kind of connectivity. Greenfields have, have a unique advantage. They can really be considering that connectivity piece of it. And they should really think about it like a basic utility, like you would your power or your water or steam or something like that. It's just, it's something that needs to get done. It's also probably not all wired ethernet either. We're talking about Wi-Fi connectivity for both the plants and machines and for IoT devices and for people. And of course, when we're talking about Wi-Fi and wireless connectivity, 
the other hot thing these days is these 5G technologies, right, which are really interesting to consider. I do like to remind people 5G is not just one more G on top of the 4G connections that your cell phone already has today. There's a lot more that comes in with that, including private 5G networks, location tracking, and of course, that higher bandwidth too. So if I'm building a new plant and we're talking about a multi-year build process, that is definitely one of the technologies that I am prospecting around and trying to figure out where it's going. So what about if you already have an established pharma factory? I believe you just used the term brownfield. How do you upgrade that? What are some of the common mistakes manufacturers make when trying to upgrade a brownfield? So yeah, Elizabeth, you're absolutely right. We do use that term brownfield to pretty much mean anything that is not a greenfield. If you're not some new construction, if you're a plant that already exists, regardless of what state you're in, yeah, we'll, we'll call that a brownfield a lot of the times. And yeah, absolutely. These are still things you don't just ignore all of your existing sites when you're talking about some digital transformation initiative. You, you need to be able to, to bring those in into the fold as well. So the most common mistake is that recurring theme around goals, but I've talked about that enough. So I'm actually going to talk about the other end of the spectrum. What happens when you spend too much time in the goals and the objectives and the planning and not enough time actually getting stuff done? So the older the plant, the more bigger problems you're likely to see and the more planning you're going to need to put into these efforts to, to really figure out what your full roadmap for modernization is going to look like, right? So if a Pharma 4.0 initiative or a goal that you're trying to achieve is going to require network upgrades and machine upgrades and control system upgrades and new sensors and training before you even get to your real mission and what you're trying to do with Pharma 4.0, that can be really intimidating. And I see a lot of customers kind of get caught up in the paralysis of trying to figure out what decisions to actually make and where to get started. So the keys here, in my opinion, are to look at those infrastructure projects early and look at multiple initiatives to find value. So what I mean by that is the network and controls upgrades, those are just table stakes. They they are going to need to happen for any type of longer term pharma four audition if you're going to do. So that is the easy place to start if you're trying to figure out where to get going, right? It's that connectivity. Everything is going to need data. Just get that stuff done. Now, the downside to that is that if you're doing all of that on the back of a single initiative, it can make your ROI look really tough, right? So you're talking about a massive plant infrastructure upgrade, maybe to support just one goal, but it's also really getting you ready for the future. And it's going to set the stage for all sorts of other future projects that you could be doing. So don't just focus on your new EBR system that you're trying to put in and say that all of these infrastructure upgrades are to support that. But think about what else is going to go on in the future. Are you going to be doing advanced analytics projects and connecting to the cloud for AI and machine learning and things like that? You got to put all of that value in to justify the expense of some of that infrastructure sometimes. So does it make sense to say that depending on the age of the plant, sometimes a gut job is the best way to go as compared to a piece-by-piece rebuild? I would say that can really kind of depend on the the overall business climate that you're in, right? Is how much you're willing to gut and, and put some production potentially on hold. Do you have extra capacity elsewhere to take on some of that? Because it certainly can. For, for some of these projects, it could be cheaper, easier, and you could get a better result if you start from scratch or from at least a shell like you're talking about. 
but it really is going to depend. Can you offload that capacity or build up enough of a stock? Like what are the other business conditions that are going to factor into that? You're going to need to, so they, it could definitely be on the table, but it's probably a bigger business conversation too. How should a pharma factory select which software to use? Carefully, because it's usually fairly expensive and uh, it, it can be tricky, right? You're, you are kind of getting married to a piece of software. You're going to get tied to it for a long time. It's going to influence a lot of what you can or can't do in the future. It's an important decision and you want to try to get it right the first time. So the goals come in really handy here as well, right? So a lot of the times that we do these types of vendor software vendor assessments is we start with those lists of requirements. We pick three to five pieces of software that we're considering, and we start to kind of prove it out for each of those use cases to see how that piece of software is going to be able to address that, right? So we think about what comes out of the box and what's going to need to be customized to fit your needs. Those out-of-the-box features are usually going to be cheaper, but more stable, and but also a little bit more rigid as well. So usually what my team does when we do these vendor assessments, we score various software vendors against your requirements and how they fit. And then you also need to consider things like upfront costs, ongoing support costs, support availability, training requirements, all of that to, to try to find what the best fit's going to do. And one more quick thing, when we're talking about selecting software, I do think that we're in a really interesting time in that there are more software companies out there making solutions and solving problems for manufacturers than we've ever really seen before. So even just a decade ago, there's just a few bigger companies that make software for manufacturing, and those were really your only option. Today, a lot of that has changed, and there's pros and cons to going with someone more established versus maybe a startup or a newcomer. Those established software providers are going to probably have more resilient software platforms, and they're probably going to be bigger and solve a variety of different problems well, and they tend to have great support networks. Whereas a newcomer and a startup, they're more likely to have a, a narrowly focused solution that solves a specific problem in a more innovative and usually cost-effective way, but there's also just inherent risk in that, right? What happens long-term if their company doesn't stick around or gets acquired or something like that, right? So you kind of need to balance um, and try to think about for your business and your risk tolerance, how much you want to lean on one of those more established players and have them be that reliable rock that all other software solutions are, are built around. Or are you going to be looking at various vendors, maybe even some smaller ones, and trying to pick the, the best fit for each individual problem knowing that there might be a little bit more risk and overall complexity from going to multiple providers. So one of the big discussions out there today is putting software in the cloud. What do you think of software that's in the cloud? What do pharma companies need to know? Well, yeah, the, the cloud certainly isn't going away. It's on the tip of everybody's tongue as we're talking about these software and these infrastructure type of projects, right? It's a big idea. There's a lot of different flavors to it too, right? So cloud could mean that all of your servers and software live in a centralized location that is owned and managed by you and your IT team. We'll call that a private cloud versus something where you're leveraging the compute power of one of those big tech companies, right? An Amazon or a Microsoft and essentially leasing and renting out not just your compute capacity, but also usually some of your data and your data storage as well. So when you're thinking about this through a manufacturing lens, a lot of what we think about is what the implications are 
for having an application that is not hosted within those four walls of the plant. There are some well-known risks to having mission-critical systems that are up in the cloud, from cybersecurity concerns to latency and lag problems to the risk that your plant might need to shut down if you've lost internet connectivity, right? But A, so a lot of those concerns are, are being addressed by modern solution, and there's a lot of benefits for this too, right? So a lot of the more innovative and progressive software needs the compute power that you get from the cloud to run, especially if we're talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning applications. So that's a big data center to have inside of a plant. You need to take advantage of those types of uh, solutions. So there's also this idea that if you're building a greenfield facility, and you're committing to the cloud, you might be able to avoid building a data center altogether or build a significantly smaller one if you can commit to the cloud early and have a pretty uh, a pretty big cost savings in doing so. So for anything that's not mission critical, cloud should absolutely be one of your considerations and you should expect to find cheaper solutions with more power and more accessibility by going to the cloud. For applications that are more mission and manufacturing critical, cloud might still be an option. You should definitely look into it, but you'll need to take a close look at your use case and your risk and make sure that you're making the right decision for the problem you're trying to solve. I would say that a lot of the big farmers are still keeping on-prem with most of their prod systems. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing some of the newer CG&T or other biotech companies that are just starting up, like you said looking at the cloud and looking at the risk and saying, you know what, we're not going to invest into a costly data center. We're going to put everything into the cloud, normally a private cloud. Yes, I've seen more private clouds than public clouds in, in pharma as well. And, you know, I'll also mention, again, th there is a line of, of logic and, and that we're doing for a lot of these. We're not talking about putting PLC code and direct control code and things like that in the cloud. Yet we'll, we'll see where we are uh, in 10 years when we do the follow-up to this podcast. But, you know, there is definitely some applications these days that almost need to go into the cloud to, to be cost-effective and, and work well. I hate that this has to end. I personally have learned so much from you today. Sam Russum, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. And while we didn't get to everything today, luckily it's a two-part series. On the next podcast, we will continue diving into this question of hardware versus software with Michael Lohmeyer, VP of Distribution at Grand Tech. I'm sure he will have some fascinating insights as well. Until then, I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of Pep Talks. And I want to thank Sam once again.